Hello, how the tech are you? This is our weekly tech show on Echoplex Media. We talk about tech news, science news, whatever tech and science stuff we want to talk about. I am historian Matt. I usually talk about AI and green energy, but today I don't have any of that, actually. Not, not, nothing at all related to AI and green energy. So my first topic is... I have the great name, a Moo or Mew way to navigate. And the second one is AMA smacks down the BMI. Uh, Dave is uh, on an adventure. So we have uh, uh, HK. What do you got? How's it going? I am HK Parent. I am a software engineer. So I mostly cover software engineering news. Uh, this week, I don't really have a news story, but I have kind of a correction of something that I said before on the show. I was wrong about ChatGPT's ability to code. So I'll talk about that during my segment. Cool. Okay, my first uh, topic should be a quick one, but I thought it was pretty interesting. So Mu way to navigate or Mu, I don't know. But anyways... Basically, what's happening is a Japanese re- some Japanese researchers have developed a new way to navigate using cosmic rays, also known as muons. So get it, mu way to navigate. Uh, anyways, so uh, <laughs> the the issue is, you know, current GPS works pretty well, but uh, it can be blocked by buildings, rocks. If you're underwater, it's blocked. Not that many people try to drive underwater, but you, know, you generally don't want to do that. Wouldn't work anyways. But uh, muons pass through just about everything. Uh, I believe they go like straight through the earth. I, I don't know how far they go, but uh, if we can harness them to navigate, we could uh, we could pretty much navigate anywhere we wanted to. So this new form of navigation is called muometric uh, positioning system, or MUPS, M-U-P-S, MUPS, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I was reading it. I don't know how they decided to uh, pronounce it, actually. There's a lot more information in the article. I thought I would just cover it because it's pretty interesting. But it could uh, lead to ability to you know, navigate, use our GPS or MUPS uh, indoors, uh, underground, or even underwater. What do you think, HK? Um, so if, if muons pass through just about everything, then how do they not pass through the instrument used in this device? That was not explained to me because <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> that myself. Like I, cause I've heard of them before. I'm like, yeah, they, they pass through like everything. I'm pretty sure they pass like straight through the earth or like, um, I don't know. They, they don't interact with matter that much, but I guess occasionally they directly m- bump into stuff. Um, it, yeah, it wasn't real clear. I think the idea is that actually some there it's cosmic rays. So they're constantly being uh, generated. Right. And I think they're generated the sun. So we have like a really good reference point to start with. Um, so I think it's the issue is it just like at some point, some of them bump into the detector that we have. And I don't know exactly how the detector works, but it just like bumps into the detector and we notice them and we can get directional uh information from that i guess this is really interesting i'm also wondering like so these these muons aren't created by us right no we're not creating that from what i can tell no we're pulling them out of the 
Okay. So Cosmic that ether. that means <laughs> it has to be like fundamentally different than GPS because yes. the way GPS works, we create the GPS signal, which is how we know where yeah. it is. Like you and I have done like an episode of a podcast on this exact topic with like GPS. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I'll just quickly go over it. Basically, uh, a GPS satellite will broadcast the time uh, and your phone will receive it and then check its own clock to see how long it took that signal to get to itself. And due to the speed of light, it knows how far away that satellite is. So it knows that it's somewhere on this giant sphere in space this many kilometers away from the satellite. Now you do that a couple more times and you get these intersecting spheres that all intersect at one point and that's where you are. So it's got to be fundamentally different than that unless we have some source of muons that's, that you could use to create these intersecting spheres. Now I think... I'm guessing, and it wasn't super clear, but I'm guessing that they're saying that the, the biggest source of muons is coming from the sun. And then if you use that as like a point reference and saying that they're all coming from there and then it's hitting the earth, right? Then you, what you're doing is you're, you're pinpointing a point on the sphere of the earth, I guess. That's some, something like that as I'm guessing what happening, what's happening. Um, they had some diagrams I didn't fully get in the... Uh, um, in the, in the article, they also said some stuff like it's not super accurate. It's not like, I think it's like 20 to 30 meters accurate, which is very inaccurate currently very inaccurate. you like, you would, you might be able to use that in car navigation, but it'd be doing a lot of guessing, right? <laughs> GPS is, you know, <laughs> sub 10 meter. Uh, I think it's down and depending on the GPS, you know, you can get down to like meters or even centimeter type level. Um, they said the, there's, they said something about a time, uh, it's not time accurate or something like that is what they said. And I think the idea is since they don't detect that many muons, cause it has to hit the detector at the right spot, I believe, um, you know, it's not like a constant, it's not like it's constantly hitting it. So there is some delay that you have to do to collect enough to be able to, to determine where you are, I believe is what's happening there. Um, okay. so they think that even though it's not particularly accurate right now, the issue isn't like creating a better detector from what I can tell, but what they were claiming was instead having a better, uh, clock basically. And you'd basically do make it really accurate is to use an atomic clock. And apparently people are working on making miniaturized atomic clocks that you could fit inside a cell phone. So... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I guess that would work. Uh, but uh, yeah, hmm. that's the idea. So they think with better clocks, they can actually make it more accurate and be useful. That is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and in case anyone wants any more information, as always, we put the links to these in the show notes. Yep. And we actually link to the show notes and everything. <laughs> <laughs> And both uh, the YouTube video and on the uh, Sound Only podcast, iTunes or whatever. Anything else? Should I go on to the next one? Uh, yeah. What else you got? Okay. I think this one we're going to talk about a little bit more, but it's my t- the title I have is the AMA Smacks Down the BMI. 
So the AMA is the American Medical Association, and they recently adopted a strongly worded policy that attacks the BMI's significant limitations, historical harms, and racist exclusion. Got a lot of information on this. I'll go over it pretty quickly. But so quickly, the BMI, was, BMI stands for Body Mass Index. It's a simple calculation from your weight. It's basically your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. So uh, if you see some calculators online, they include within it like the conversion to kilograms if you're doing you know pounds and feet or something they do the conversion of kilograms and meters this is a little confusing but that's basically is it's pretty simple if you already have kilograms and meters pretty straightforward calculation and then once you have that number the your bmi is classified into four different categories general categories that include like if you're below your bmi is below 20 you're underweight if you're between 20 and basically 25 you're considered normal weight. Overweight is between 25 and 30, and obese is 30 and up. And there's a, a fifth category that I've heard of um, mentioned before several times, but I don't think it's an official category. And that's basically a BMI of 40 of high 40 and higher is considered morbidly obese, which means you're so obese that you the your weight is causing harm that could lead to your death. Basically, um, it's, it's causing s serious like health issues, uh, to be sure. But um, the problem with BMI is basically BMI doesn't actually measure fat, and different body types can have a higher BMI but actual lower percentage of body fat, and it's the body fat that's actually the issue, right? It's the, the part that we're trying to measure with the BMI or trying to get an idea of, you know, with the BMI that is causing a problem. But so, for example, like bodybuilders can have BMIs that actually show up as obese. Uh, they're often usually just like the upper end of overweight, but they can be obese, even though they can actually have percent body fat that's so low, it's actually un unhealthy, right? They, they have very low uh, percent body fat. Uh, the other problem, you know, older people have the same issue. BMI doesn't really take into account, or at least the uh, the different categories doesn't take into account age. So older people tend to have more fat than younger people, even if they have the same BMI. And uh, also, finally, like where you hold your fat can strongly influence how healthy you are. If most of your fat is in your belly area that is considered a lot less healthy than if it's held in other places. And again, the BMI doesn't really measure that either. Uh, and the final thing, I didn't actually have it in the show notes, but uh, based on race, BMIs can mean different things. You know, pe some people can have a uh, lower BMI and uh, actually be less healthier, have a higher risk of things like diabetes than others. So finally, there's a whole list of these in the article, but basically the AMA is, is suggesting using other more accurate ways of measuring body fat to track that sort of thing. Um, most scales, like if you buy scales now, they often have what I think it's called impedance is what they're using to measure your body fat. It's, it's putting a small electric charge through your body and, and through that it can kind of determine uh, your body fat, they're not super accurate. They're a lot more accurate than they used to be, I think. But, uh, I mean, they're probably <laughs> more accurate than BMI now. Uh, 
Uh, but there's other ways that are far more accurate, but they're more difficult to do. So it's more like a one once a year kind of thing. But uh, what do you think, HK? I feel like uh, you're going to have some thoughts on this. Yes, uh, I have always hated the BMI. It's uh, it's very misleading, and it it causes people to feel bad about themselves when they shouldn't. Uh, for example, like when I, I used to lift weights a lot and my BNI, my BMI would go up even though I wasn't really like, like I was gaining weight, but I wasn't gaining fat. I was gaining muscle. So it doesn't account for like why you're gaining weight or why you weigh a, a certain amount. So yeah, BMI is just, it's, it's useless. Yeah. Yeah, it's very problematic, except maybe in some in very generic cases. I don't even know how you do it, but like for for me, BMI has I've always been at least overweight. Uh, full disclosure, I think according to the BMI now, I'm um, in the morbidly obese category. That's you know doesn't it's not an official category, but um, uh, I've never been normal weight except for one short time that maybe it's probably a several months i don't know how long it was but it wasn't a, a full year and do you do you know when that was <laughs> uh, what was that it was back when i was running marathons <laughs> so ah. of course I was, so having to get that much exercise <laughs> you know running for hours a day was what i had to do to get my weight down to normal that is not according to the BMI. So that, that is not normal at the time. There I didn't was, have a very good way of measuring my percent body fat. Uh, yeah, there was, I, there was a, a time a while ago where I used to, uh, I, I had a very calorie restrictive diet. Uh, yeah. I would eat no more than 1800 calories a day and I would swim, uh, about three miles a day. So I, I would, I'd be in the wow. pool swimming laps for two hours. It took me 40 minutes to do one mile. So I'd swim for two hours and I'd swim roughly three miles a day. Uh, and at that time, my BMI was normal, you know, normal. <laughs> yeah. But I looked like way too skinny. I looked way too skinny yeah. and I felt way too skinny. And, you know, as soon as I get to the a weight where I feel more healthy and I feel like I look better, just like you, I've always been in that overweight category on the BMI because like the BMI doesn't count doesn't account for like how your body's built. You know, my yeah. body is like larger than most other people's bodies. Uh, even yeah. of my height, I have a pretty large like frame and. You know, even when I don't work out, I still have a lot of muscle mass and the BMI just doesn't take that into account at all. Yeah. You're also taller and yeah. even though BMI is supposed to be taking into account your height, it doesn't really work well. So people who are taller or shorter, they, uh, the BMI kind of screws up for that. Uh, I have the problem that, uh, I mean, now I can't really make any excuse. I'm, I'm quite a bit overweight. I'm, I'm working on it, but you know, since high school, I've been lifting weights. So I've always had more muscle than most people. And like, there's just a limit to how much weight I can lose, <laughs> you know? Uh, so yeah, uh, I've never in my adult life, basically, except for that one time when I was 
at the peak of running marathons, you know, when I was doing the most I could running marathons, I think I did two in a year. Uh, that's when I weighed the, le the least. And then of course I hurt, I injured my knee and I couldn't run marathons anymore. So I gained back some of the weight, but I wouldn't even say that was like when I was in the best shape, because later I got into doing stuff like, uh, P90X and other kind of exercise programs. And in terms of like overall shape, you know, just being able to do anything, not just run, but any kind of exercise. I felt like I was in the best shape of my life and I was definitely overweight. I think probably some parts of it, I was in, you know, the obese category, even though I, I could move and lift and probably, you know, maybe not run faster than some runners, but definitely faster and longer than the average person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know it, but I, I'd be interested to see what my BMI was back when I was doing like endurance cycling. Yeah. Cause, uh, like my thighs were just absolutely fucking massive. I couldn't yeah. find jeans that would fit me. Cause if they fit my thighs, they'd look like bell bottoms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, shall I move on to my story? Sure. All right. So I was wrong about chat GPT. Uh, a while ago, uh, I will have the link to my own statement in the show notes, uh, but a while ago, I was talking about ChatGPT's ability to code, and I basically dismissed it as not being able to write good code. Well, that, turns out, is not correct. Uh, if you ask ChatGPT to write something, like what we have on screen right now is I'm asking ChatGPT to write a JavaScript function to look for telephone numbers in a web page and convert them to tell links so that you could click on them on a cell phone and, and call. Uh, and it gives me a function that is not good. It has some like very serious problems. If you ran that on a website, on basically any modern web page, it would break the page. Uh, so I followed this up though with uh, a prompt where I asked it, consider your answer carefully for any flaws, mistakes, or wording that could be improved. Do you want to revise your answer? If so, go ahead and give a revised version. If not, why not? And I did that multiple times, asking ChatGPT to really consider it, its answer, look for any flaws and mistakes, and it, it kept finding issues with it and fixing it. And the surprising thing is it, it was fixing the same approach as it went. And then all of a sudden about like towards the end, probably about 70% through it decided, you know what, this approach is not good. I'm just going to rewrite it to use a completely different approach. And that to me is like so much more like what a human will code, uh, rather than a, a computer. Uh, so it, you know, it felt like it was a human going through. I mean, obviously it's not, it's just a computer, but it's emulating a human and it's doing that really well because just like a human, it writes not great code at first, and then it can revise that and fix it. And eventually, uh, I switched the prompt to just, should you revise any part of this new answer? And I asked that a few times and eventually it said, no, its answer was good that it didn't want to revise any. And I looked at that answer. Uh, we had it up on screen there for a second. And that answer is surprisingly good. It is uh, 
pretty much what I would write if uh, if I had like a few hours to solve this problem. Uh, you know, looking for for telephone numbers and changing them to tell links. Uh, it handles pretty much any like out of the box scenario you could throw at it, uh, and it it does it really well. And not just that, but like it was able to do it in like ten minutes. What would have probably taken me a couple hours to write, it was able to do in ten minutes. So ChatGPT is actually really good at coding, but it's it works like a human does. It doesn't work like like a a computer. You know, you you, you would expect at, to ask the computer code this thing for me, and the computer will just spit out perfect code. But that's not the way ChatGPT works. ChatGPT is able to revise its own code and fix it if you prompt it correctly. Uh, so I, I was very impressed at this. Uh, and I got to say, like, kudos to it acting like a human, because that is actually how humans revise their code. Uh, obviously, it is not a human. It doesn't think like a human. It doesn't have, like, thoughts or emotions or feelings or... Uh, well, can you say it doesn't have thoughts? It kind of has thoughts, but not the same way that humans have thoughts. But it doesn't have feelings or emotions. Uh, but, like, I was really impressed by it, by, by how it could just keep finding new flaws uh, and, and keep improving its own answer. And eventually, when it did tell me, no, this is good, I couldn't find a single bug in that code. So I... I think it it actually worked. You know, it said, "Yeah, this looks good. There's no bugs." And yeah, that was correct. <laughs> nice. Um did it ever come up with any kind of code that uh you were surprised about that was like either better than something you think you would come up with or uh a unique idea or or strategy? I would say it didn't really come up with anything that was like uh, unique or uh, better than something I could do, uh, but it was certainly better than something like a a student could do. Uh, it was yeah. like professional level code, so it it was you know the ultimately the code that it spit out is code that you would expect uh, a, an actual professional software engineer to write. Uh, but the fact is, it did it so much faster than I would have. It would have taken me a lot longer to produce the same quality code that it spat out in roughly 10 minutes of the, just this back and forth. Just me asking it, like, consider your own answer and do you want to revise it? Like, okay. that's all I... I never gave it any hints. I did at certain times... Uh, re run the same prompt again because it got kind of lost uh, and it started doing things it wasn't uh, like it started going down a path that wasn't productive so I, I did rerun the same prompt to get a new response uh, so it's not like I just prompted it without looking at its, its responses uh, so there was a certain level of human guidance in that uh, but I never told it any of the code to write. I never gave it any hints. Uh, unless you count like stopping it when it's going down the wrong way, a hint. But yeah. 
Um, so this was just like a, basically a sort of like an interview question type type deal. I probably wouldn't ask this question on an interview because it is, this question is a foot gun. It is so easy to get this wrong. And for okay. so many reasons, uh, that, you know, if I were to ask this of an interviewee, I would basically be dooming them to fail. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, but it's, it's not like a problem that would be directly used in some sort of larger system or something like that, or would it? Does it make sense? Uh, it's not like something you would use in your daily life programming. Likely. Uh, well, I, I can certainly see this being part of another library. Uh, okay. And, you know, if you did want to ask a question like this in an interview, it does give some good indication of someone's thought process. Uh, and you could just tell them, like, if you know where all the bugs would be, you could just tell them, like, okay, this is what you see. Can you figure out why? To try and tell how someone debugs. That's a, a good... Uh, way you could use this question in an interview. Uh, but as far as like using it in my own code, um, I don't think I would ever need to use this because if I want something to be a tell link, I'm just going to make it a tell link. Uh, but if you wanted to put this in an, a library of like, you know, various functions to do nifty little things, uh, this code is certainly like, I would, if I put this exact code from that final answer uh, into a, a library and put it up on like NPM, you know, some code repository, I would not feel like I was doing a disservice. You know, it, it's good code. And I, if I needed it in production, I would run it. Okay. Yeah. So that's what, uh... that's what I'm like most impressed by is the quality of the code at the end is literally like professional quality nice um so yeah the, the what kind of concerns me like i don't really code anymore so i'm forgetting how to do it now but uh, uh it seemed like the chat gpt could do things like it could pass a, a interview a programming interview test you know or, or question but uh i feel like it couldn't really actually do the job in many cases for various reasons, but, and it probably could be like do partial work kind of thing, but everybody's talking about how programmers are going to lose their job. And I'm like, I don't think so. But what may happen is it will become very difficult to interview people for the job. <laughs> so I still don't think it would be difficult to interview because, uh, even though chat GPT is doing essentially what a human does, it would be very hard for a human to take these responses and in real time make the modifications that ChatGPT was making to its own code because of how they're like presented, if you know what I mean. Okay. Um, and also, well, I, I guess it, a human actually could use these responses to work through, like to, to explain their thought process because ChatGPT was explaining its own thought process, which was... right. Uh, kind of striking, you know, it would say like, oh, I found an issue. I thought about it more and I found an issue with this. You know, if I, if I run this code, it's going to cause this problem on the page. So let me fix that part of it. And then it would spit out a new answer where it revised 
that issue and fixed it. Uh, and then I'd just ask it again and it would find some other bug. Uh, and I was genuinely really surprised when it didn't just fix a bug, but it said using this approach is bad. I, I should use a different approach. And what it was doing was it was getting all of the elements in the entire page into an array and then walking through the array and looking inside each element. And it was like, you know, that's not really a great approach. Instead, I'm going to call this function recursively to go through all of the elements. And I'm thinking okay. like, that's actually, yeah, that, that is a modification that I would make to that code. You know, mm -hmm. using a, a recursive function would be better in this approach. So I was pretty impressed. Cool. It could not only think about like bugs in its code, but it could also think about like kind of the overall approach that it's taking to solve this problem. Yeah. I'm beginning to wonder like if you actually bring somebody on site to do an interview, like it's not going to matter. They're not going to have act. You'll, you'll be able to see how they're doing it. Right. But yeah. phone screens, yeah. I think are, might have some problems and I'm, I'm bet. I'm betting there's quite a number of people who have already tried to <laughs> use chat, chat GPT to pass a, a phone screen or something. Um, Probably, so I, I think yeah. that's where things are going to get a little bit harder. And I bet a few of them got through and then some of them realized they had to do it in person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they had a real problem. Even if you get hired, like you have to do it in your job. I've had people like I used to interview a lot of people. Um, I interviewed a lot of people at Google. I interviewed a lot of people at the company I worked for before Google. And there I had more direct relation to the people we actually hired, uh, the previous company. And I've had people like pass the interview and they seem to be fine. And then just like, could not do the work, you know, <laughs> like completely <laughs> failed at, at doing the work. So yeah, it's, I don't know. There's not, there's not really a, a great way to interview people for, a. um, you know, for a tech job, there's yeah. always some uncertainty. Yeah. It's like, even if you have the skills, you may just not be good at the job. Uh, yeah. And there's it's more also, to it than, than solving like, problems like that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that's another thing is like this, what I was asking chat GPT chat, chat GPT to do is not what I do. I don't just write little functions where I have like, you know, some small little task like this and I have to write a little function. I write systems, you know, I, I, yeah. I write very large interconnected systems. Uh, right now I'm, I'm writing an email service and an email service is not just like a, a collection of these little like random functions that do little things. An email service is a whole system that, that works with all of the other parts of itself. The, the webmail system has to be able to load messages out of the same storage that the SMTP server puts them into, uh, you know, the, it's these things are all very interconnected and very large. There's like in in my project, there's probably co code that I've written. There's probably uh, like a hundred thousand lines, uh, yeah. or possibly more, because I I wrote an object relational mapper as well that I'm using in this project. Uh, so like, you know, all these systems have to work together. And ChatGPT can't really do that yet. I think possibly in the future, you could train ChatGPT on a particular 
code base and then it would be able to understand maybe um, how to solve tasks in this code base. Uh, but it's certainly not there yet. It's certainly not at the point where I could say to ChatGPT, you know, write a function that I'm going to use in, in my email server because I'd have to explain to ChatGPT, like, here's how my database is structured and here's the, the function signature that I need you to match. And by the way, that type in the first argument is like this enormous type that comes from like a, a TypeScript library. And yeah, I'd have to explain so much to it that it just doesn't have like the context to understand. But that doesn't mean it will never have that context. It just means like the freely available ChatGPT 3.5 doesn't have that context. Its context window, I think, is only like 10,000 tokens. So even assuming that like one line of code is one token which is incorrect but even assuming that i've still like gotten i've still got like 10 times as much as as the its own context window and then you'd have to explain like you can't just give it a bunch of code you have to explain like the structure of the code and how different things are running in different places like the SMTP server might be using some of the code that the, that the front end thing is not using. Like they don't talk to each other, but then there might be some other code that is shared between them. So you have to explain to ChatGPT like how code works across different systems that could be running at the same time. And it's, I'm very excited to see where it goes because I think eventually we will get to the point that it would be able to understand things like that. Uh, and then I'll be out of a job, but I'm, I'm not out of a job yet. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah. Maybe one day I'll ask it my interview question that I used to ask everybody. But I'm not going to tell anybody about because then I won't be able to ever use it again if I ever need it. But <laughs> right. Anyways. I have like some favorite interview questions too. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what it, what it does. Since I have such deep knowledge now of that particular question, but um, yeah, that's all we got. Do you want to read us out? Yes, I believe it is my turn. So thank you for watching. This has been How the Tech Are You? This is our weekly tech news show. Uh, this show comes out on YouTube, but we also have other shows that come out on twitch.tv uh, as well as the podcast. If you're listening on the podcast and you already know about that. If you want to follow us on Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia, and you can check out our website to see our other shows. That's echoplexmedia.com. And you can give us money on Patreon, patreon.com slash echoplex. Uh, and if you want to get swag or support us in a different way than Patreon, you can do that at eplex.store. And have a great tech and week. <laughs>